I was able to keep my hands up and protect my head. And I remember every bounce, every, every rock that I hit, and then I came to a stop. That was Sherry Trekker. Later on in this episode, you'll hear how far she fell and how her and her partner managed the incident in and out of the field. Welcome back. And thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Sharp End Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the American Alpine Club and sponsored by Mammut. Protecting you while protecting the environment. Mammut is not only focused on integrating leading safety technology into every product so you can confidently push your boundaries, but also committed to continuing to preserve what is worth preserving and to improve what is not yet perfect. This month's Mammut safety product highlight is a Haldegrat Hardshell Jacket, a must-have jacket for those who want to regulate your body temperature, but also be protected from the elements when searching for untracked powder. Hashtag confidently go. And guess what? That's right. I have again teamed up with Mammut for another giveaway. But this time, instead of a helmet, we are going to mix it up. We are giving away a Haldegrat hardshell jacket. And just like all my giveaways, you'll find out how at the end of this episode. So stay tuned. Thank you as well to the Colorado Outward Bound School and Sunto for the additional support. So today I talked to a well-rounded and experienced climber. This incident happened June of 2018, so last year, on the south buttress of Cutthroat Peak in the North Cascades in Washington Pass. And I am more than happy to welcome Sherry Trekker to the show. I'm Sherry Trekker. I am Seattle-based for the most part. I've been a Mountaineers member, climb leader, and scramble leader for the last several years, which means that I take students up rock climbs, alpine climbs, glacier climbs throughout Washington state to get more experience climbing. It's not quite a guide service where they're paying me. It's all volunteer based. And the expectation is that they come in with some level of skill and I just make sure that they're honing in those skills and everyone's doing this it safely. So that's how I started being interested in, um, becoming a guide, essentially. And over time, I decided to take the AMGA SPI course and exam, and I passed, so I'm an SPI. I've also taken a bunch of wilderness first aid classes, wilderness first responder classes. So I take this very seriously. It's um, not quite something that I'm paid for as of right now, but it's something that I would say is more of a lifestyle than a hobby. Cool. Okay. So then what do you want to talk about today? What was the incident that, that you're going to share with us? So the incident actually happened last year. It was um, early June, 2018 in the South buttress of Cutthroat Peak. And that is an, in the North Cascades um, near Washington Pass. And if anyone has ever been over Highway 20 traveling eastbound, it is this beautiful peak that becomes dominant in the North as you're driving toward Washington Pass. The south buttress gets lit up by sun super early in the day, and it just it's a thousand feet of wonderful, moderate rock climbing. And uh, Super Topo. Yeah, so Super Topo gives it 5.8 plus rating and either 16 or 18 pitches. 
And the plan in early June was to simulclimb everything that was below 5.8 and just pitch out the few crux pitches that are on that climb. So uh, June is very early for that type of climb. There was still snow in all the gullies. We could see that as we were driving over. So we knew that we'd have to carry over a pretty heavy pack um, because it is a carryover. You descend the West Ridge and then more snow gullies. And so we had mountaineering boots, crampon or micro spikes, I'm sorry, and ice axes to get down the mountain. So you park and then you climb up the mountain and then you go down a gully to hit, get to the buttress that you climb? Um, the approach is about three hours to get to the south buttress. And it was a faint climber's path. There were some snow patches that led to us taking an alternate route to get to the base. So it involved one rappel to get to the base and some snow walking. But the crampons, the ice axes, the boots were all for the descent more than the approach. Um, yeah. And so we were making great time. The first three hours went by very fast. My partner, Ben is a stronger climber than I am. And so because we were simul climbing, I was in the front for the most part leading out. Um, I would say, like I said, I, we, I led everything that was five, seven and below placing micro tractions in anything that I thought was a little bit cruxy. And then Ben led out on the five, eight plus pitches and there was some snow on the route, but it just gave it an Alpine feel. There were some parts, especially toward the top where we, we were pretty sure we were on the route, but with all the snow, it made it more of a snow climb than a, uh, than an Alpine rock climb. And it just got us really excited. Um, we got to the top in five and a half hours, everything had gone perfect. It was, we were well ahead of schedule, just, just having a wonderful time on a wonderful route. You, so, and it's six, you said 16 mm-hmm. to 18 pitches. Wow. You guys, you guys cruise that. Yeah. It was one of the most relaxing long Alpine climbs I'd ever done. I felt so happy for us, even though Ben is a stronger climber than me. He is one of my students from a few years ago. So this is a man that I saw from the very beginning, you know, like I taught him how to hold an ice axe and here he is just doing an amazing climb on an amazing day with me. And so it was just, just a real feeling of gratitude and happiness in the mountains. Have have you climbed with Ben a whole bunch before? I know you taught him how to kind of, you taught him the ropes, so to speak, um, but had it was your more like your climbing partner. How do you how do you define that relationship? Yeah, I would say Ben definitely he he took the intense basic alpine climbing course through me, and then after that, uh, there's a secondary level of climbing course in the mountaineers called intermediate, and that's where people learn to lead trad and lead ice, and you, you know essentially become the leaders themselves. And what I would do for several years was I would lead the basic course. And then I would also take anyone that was interested in that course and mentor them as intermediate climbers where they're learning to lead trad. So Ben was with me through this entire process from like, like the very beginning as as an Alpine, a basic student all the way through learning to lead trad and then eventually becoming better than me. So I was very aware of his skill set, felt 
mostly mostly felt comfortable with his risk tolerance, <laughs> right? Like that's not something I can teach. And he is, despite being so good at climbing, one of the most humble people that I've ever met. And that's something that I look for in my partners. Okay, so there you are. You've uh, you and Ben are sitting at the top of a nice, relaxed climbing day. Well, the from the top, it becomes another navigational challenge because you don't descend the same way you came up. The typical descent is the West Ridge. And the West Ridge is a climb in its own right. Um, it involves a few rappels to get down to a fourth class ridge walk that's several hundred feet. Some people would choose to pitch out the ridge walk or simul climb the ridge walk, but Ben and I were confident enough in our fourth class scrambling skills that we just walked the ridge and then did three more repels and all the repels are pre-existing repels. So we didn't have to worry about building any new anchors. They all looked really secure. And that gets you down to a lower ridge that is the snow-filled gully that we could see from the cars. And that all went, all of the ridge walking went smoothly. The fourth class ridge walk I would do again in a heartbeat. I thought it was so much fun and gorgeous. Um, however, we reached the snow and we realized not only was it way icier than we expected, it was also significantly steeper than we expected. And it, um, it, it pretty much required that from the top, we were facing down climbing, plunging the axon with every step as far as we could go and kicking steps as hard as we could. I had micro spikes, Ben did not. And it was just really, really slow going compared to what we thought. We thought we would be able to glissade it, to be honest. Were you able to get some purchase in with your, with your boot pen when you're kicking into the, into the goalie? Were you able to like feel comfortable with your foot placements? Um, so it was the type of snow that we often see in springtime around here where there was a really thick crust of ice. But once you penetrated the ice, you could get more security. So if you were in self-belay mode where you could get your ice axe in five to ten inches, it felt really safe. But if you were just not kicking hard, not plunging hard, you weren't scratching the surface and it was just ice. So every step was a really big kick just to just to get a little tiny bit of security. Sounds exhausting. Yeah, yeah, it was really tiring, but um you you know, and so that's what we did. We kind of had to do it. We face and down climbed. Ben was in front of me. I was behind in Ben's steps. It was tiring and what essentially um what essentially happened was that um I was following Ben's steps, and as I saw Ben's steps start to go sideways, I, I perceived there to be a little bit of a change in the incline. So it looked all of a sudden like maybe we can face out and just plunge step down, or like I said, the ideal would be glissade it because it was several hundred feet. And I took the same step Ben had on the side, and... Um, Instead of being in the full self-belay mode where my ice axe was plunged all the way into the snow, I was kind of just ready to self-arrest and, um, and my foot just, it just came flying out from under me. Like there was, there was no, um, there was just no stopping me. Like I just, I just started to fall and, um, 
So because I am a good Seattle mountaineer and I practice self-arrest and glissading and I teach it every year, I immediately went into uh, self-arrest mode when I started to fall and I had a leash on my ice axe, but unfortunately it was just too icy and too steep to ever get control of my ice axe. Like it was, I was not able to grab it. And um, about a hundred feet down as I was falling, I could see that I was heading right toward a large rock. So about a refrigerator sized rock that had a really big moat below it. And so since I couldn't get control of my ice axe, what I thought was, oh, maybe I can stick the moat. Like maybe, maybe my body will get into this moat and I'll stop falling. And so at that point I flipped around went into more of a glissade mode where I just was digging my heels in as hard as I could on the ice, digging my butt in, getting my backpack to like slow me down as much as possible, trying to get control of my ice axe again. And um, I just thought maybe I could stick it. And what happened instead was I just flew right over it. Like I just got more bruises and flew straight over this moat. And so that was already, I'd already picked up steam. I'd already, I, I already was out of control. But the thing that happened with that hit was that um, at that point, my ice axe came completely off my my leash came completely off my wrist. So then I was ice axeless. And as I continued to tumble, my micro spikes came off just because of the, the full impact of all of that fall. And again, so I have no ice axe, no micro spikes, nothing to really slow me down. And I'm looking another 200 feet ahead and I just see rocks like the snow will end and I'll hit rocks. And at that point, since I had so much time, I literally was just like, what body part do I want to hit? What, what can I do to minimize the injury as much as possible? And I just made the decision to stay in that glissade mode, try and try and slow my body down, just using as much of my body weight to dig in as possible and it was kind of like, I'm going to break something. I know I'll break something, but maybe I can protect my head and not get a, not get a head injury. Maybe, maybe I can do something to not die. And um, sure enough, like that hit came and I, I hit with my knees bent exactly how I wanted to hit. Um, it didn't stop right away. Just like going over that moat, I tumbled another 10 to 15 feet down the rocks and there was definitely tumbling. But by then, since I didn't have my ice axe in my head, I was able to keep my hands up and protect my head. And I remember every bounce, every, every rock that I hit, and then I came to a stop and I was just, I didn't lose consciousness. Um, I, I wasn't significantly, I wasn't in very much pain. I was just, I just was freaked out, but I lived and I couldn't, I couldn't believe that I fell that far and just remembered it all and was able to just live and make it. About how far total do you end up sliding all the way down? So I've changed my estimates because, you know, when you're there, you always overestimate it. So at first I was saying, oh, I felt like 350 feet. And then later when I, when people were second guessing, like, there's no way you fell that far. I was like, OK, I, I changed it in my head and I changed my storyline to 200 feet. But Ben was 
there. And Ben had to face and down climb the entire way to get to me after I started falling past him. And he was like, no, Sherry, it was 350 feet. He's like, he's pretty adamant that it was almost two rope lengths that he had to continue to walk down to get to me. And what was he thinking? I mean, he watched, he watched you slide all the way down. Ben, I mean, like I said, I was super happy to have him as a climbing partner on the way up. And I was still super happy to have him as a climbing partner after the fall. So he stayed calm, believe it or not. Like he could hear me screaming. um, He could see me falling and he continued that slow, methodical face in down climbing, didn't rush and eventually was able to get to me, but it took him like 20 minutes. And I was just so thankful that he had the mind to be able to do that and to not, um, to not cause another injury to try and get to me. But I was more screaming and terrified and he was more trying to keep me calm. And in the time it took him to get to me, since I have taken the wilderness first responder course, the thing that I was doing to keep myself calm was a little bit of a head to toe assessment. I found out where my bleeding was coming from and I found out it was just my hands. It wasn't anything significant. I confirmed that I had no spine soreness. I had nothing wrong with my head at all, such that like when he got back down, I re-explained to him what I did and I kind of, he's done woofa, but he hadn't taken woofer yet. And so we talked, I talked through what he needed to check on me and he did, he did all of that. And, um, and yeah, so he, he took care of me. He took really great care of me. Good job, Ben. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Ben. Um, okay. So you're laying there in the snow, right? Um, your hands are bleeding and you're kind of, you're kind of freaked out. Um, but your partner made it down to you. Uh, what do you do next? Yeah, so I could tell that I was having a a stress response because I, like I said, I knew that I wasn't significantly injured, but I was still really not making sense, breathing heavily, like like high heart rate. And I was just explaining to Ben, you know, this isn't a physical injury. This is just a stress response. And um, our decision at first was to try and get down as fast as we could. But what was happening was as we started to descend these rocks, I was making terrible decisions. Like I was going down, like there would be a second class scramble path and I was going like straight down towards dangerous terrain. So Ben pretty much stopped me and was like, no, you don't get to make decisions anymore, Sherry, you're done. And um, he set up a couple of repels for me. And so we rappelled down the rocks and then there was another, as we were rappelling, as he was setting up the rappels, he sat me down. I took some ibuprofen, drank some water, ate some food. He set up my rappels for me and then we got to more snow. And so I had to continue like this basin down climb after this big injury another 500 feet or so of snow. And that was the most terrified I've ever been in my life. Like I, I just, I had to do it because I had to get down, but I just, I probably took way longer than I needed to. And every step was just the scariest thing I'd done in my life. Was it about as steep as the first section? No, it was less steep, thankfully. I mean, I'm sure if I was in a normal mindset, I probably would have thought that it was okay to face out. But with that 
situation that had just happened, I I had to face it. And and then and then like and then how like you said that you you're when you're doing your your assessment on yourself, you're sitting there waiting for Ben to get to you in the snow, and you found the blood and it was coming from your hands. I'm just trying to look and imagine how how much how much were you bleeding and was that hard to hold on to the rope as you were repelling with um, injured hands? No, I don't feel like I was bleeding that hard. And there's a chance also that the stress response had taken away a lot of the pain. Oh, yeah. I don't remember feeling very much pain. Um, the hand stuff was all surface. Um, it, it all healed really quickly. I mean, and then even even toward the end, I turned around and I glissated and I had these massive, massive bruises and cuts all over my backside. And I remember still being able to glissade without very much pain. And if, um, if you see the bruises, you'll know, like I should have been in pain, but it was just, there was no pain. Um, it was, it was just a a stress response that I had that just kicked the pain out until much later. How, How did that feel for you? Yeah, it was just, it was terrifying. Every step I thought I was going to fall again and have another injury, but um, Ben kicked steps for me. So I was, I was a little bit more secure in that. I remember plunging my ice axe into the snow with every step and leaving trail of blood because my hand (laughs) hadn't been, um, (laughs) like I hadn't quite bandaged up my hand well enough. So every plunge left blood. And it just left a trail for 500 feet. And I just didn't care. I was just like, get me off of this mountain. <laughs> and Ben was still staying calm through the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he stayed calm through the whole thing. Um, like I said, he plunged down for me. And then um, then once it, the angle was better, we glissaded the rest of the way. And then after the snow, like once we hit trail again, it's like a 30 minute walk back to the cars. And I kept on apologizing for how slow I was going. I remember being really embarrassed because I'm typically a pretty fast hiker. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm taking so long, Ben. And he was laughing saying, you know, he couldn't even tell I was injured. He was like, we're going the same pace that normal people go. Don't worry about it. And, um, yeah. And then we like had a stream crossing over slide alder to get back to the cars. It was a non-issue and got back to the cars after, uh, gosh, it was, it was probably a 15 hour day, which is what we thought it would be at the beginning. So it was kind of this, like, after I'd calmed down, um, I kind of almost immediately at the cars was back to thinking, wow, that was rad. (laughs) Like that was probably one of my favorite days in the Alpine. We did such a great job except for this little fall and I'm walking away from it. It's no big deal. Like it was a great day. I really thought that I didn't, I didn't go to the doctor for anything. Um, I, I ended up with, I think I had some micro fractures on my heel that kept me from being able to do more climbs for like a, a month. I wasn't doing anything too hard, but then I, um, is that from, just, is that from just like your, when you're sliding down, your feet were just hitting the snow a bunch, you think? Yeah. Uh, the rocks, my feet, my heels okay. hit the, had two big impacts with the rocks. So that first moat that I like hit the rock and jumped over and then the next initial impact, my heel absorbed the whole thing. And okay. so that, but it was little, I mean, like I said, micro fractures are something that, you know, a doctor is just going to tell you to like, not rest. 
Yeah. And I'm like, I know how to do that. I don't have to go to the doctor for that. So I just totally, I totally dismissed going to the doctor. And um, I pretty much, I, I dismissed, um, I dismissed it as an injury. I just didn't take it seriously. And what started to happen um, almost immediately, but it was really pronounced even starting, starting this year, I took a I took a volunteer job as a climbing ranger in the Met House, so the same area. And um, I started to have really bad anxiety attacks leading up to climbs, like so, like so bad that before the climb, I would like have to pull over on the side of the road and just, just cry. And, um, sometimes I would have to cancel climbs, like all the cool climbs, all the climbs that I would typically be excited about. I had to cancel this year. The only climbs I did were climbs that in my head, they're more like hikes, like, um, really basic glacier climbs I can still do, but anything that's in this like five, eight, five, nine Alpine trad range, anything that has unknown amounts of ice climbing and it's really Alpine and out there. I just have not been able to complete. Um, and I kind of thought that I could get over it on my own. Like I just kept on thinking like, push through it. You're eventually going to like it again. It's your favorite thing in the world. Like just, just keep doing it and you'll, you'll get over it. And, um, it turns out that I couldn't get over it on my own. And the increasing number of times that I was just crying in my car on the way to trailheads made me finally go and seek, seek, uh, therapy. So not any physical injury, but, um, for mental injury and pretty much immediately, I was diagnosed with PTSD and along with that PTSD, they started to ask about, you know, one of the things is reoccurring nightmares. And at first they thought it might be something that had to do with a childhood trauma. But when I talked about nightmares, it was all nightmares about falling. Like it's a consistent pattern I have where my nightmares are always about almost falling and I wake up right before I fall. And, um, yeah, it, 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 it goes right back to this, um, this climb. And it took a year and a half for me to realize that I had a really serious stress injury related to this climb. And now I'm getting help for it, but, um, (laughs) I'm still like, I had to quit my dream job as a climbing ranger and I still haven't done anything with my SPI. And I think that I'm a long ways away from being willing to do those things. Do you think that um, seeing a therapist is helping? I think it is. Um, I think that almost more helpful than seeing the therapist has to do with your episode of The Sharp End that talked about stress injury, stress injuries, psychological first aid. Um, re-listening to that made me realize just how closely tied my stress injuries that I'm experiencing are to climbing, whereas my own therapist doesn't have training in, in climbing. And so, um, I, I have to admit, I'm not quite getting the help that I need right now. I'm, but I'm taking steps toward it and being on this podcast and talking to friends about it is a way that I'm recovering. 
now that I've identified it, I can see a path forward and hopefully continue to um, enjoy the things that I love because I've, I've really missed that part of this year. And, and even though I still have been out climbing easier things than what I'm capable of just isn't my idea of fun. Like I would love to be able to, to push through this and start to do things that, um, that excite me again. Well, it does, to me, it does seem like you are pushing through it. You're just, I think what I'm hearing from you is that you're not pushing hard enough and fast enough. Like, you know, it, it's like, if you're not pushing yourself physically, um, then it's almost like you're not pushing yourself at all. But us type of women, we also just have to take a step back and realize that, I mean, climbing 5'8 is hard to some people. And just because it's not hard to us, um, or wasn't hard to us last year before your injury, mm-hmm. it, it's okay that it's difficult now. Um, and it's just like being able to look in the mirror and say, hey, I'm this is where I'm at. And I love mm-hmm. myself for being here right now. Um, I think that would help a little bit anyway, instead of putting so much pressure on yourself to be where you're just not right now. Yeah, I, I agree. That's great advice. Have you been talking to Ben lately? Is how, how's he doing? Is he is he like, come on, Sherry, let's get back out there? Or is he really supportive of you? And um... Yeah, I mean, Ben and I climbed earlier this season or started to climb Sisyphus, which is an 11 something multi-pitch sport route in uh, Mazama. And uh, it was just too hot. It was like 96 degrees out. So we bailed on the third pitch and went and swam in the river. (laughs) But he was the one that was really stoked on this like 511C pitch. And I felt bad for turning him around, but uh, he was fine. He's just a really, really nice, understanding person. And he was totally fine to turn around and not get the pitch in that he wanted to climb. And we had fun climbing or hanging out in the in the river instead. And he's uh, his big takeaway from this. We've talked about it a lot, and um, he immediately went out and got his wilderness first responder because he said that if I hadn't been conscious and walking through him through the um, steps of what to look for with him, he wouldn't have known what to do. Uh, wilderness first aid just is not the same. Like our, our basic requirement in the mountaineers is wilderness first aid, but the first responder course is just so much more in depth. And right. The, the wilderness first aid is a, is about a 16 hour, um, first aid course versus the wilderness first responder is an 80 hour course. Right. So that's, that was his takeaways that he went and got got his first responder and now feels more confident climbing with just two people in the mountains. Um, and, and so what, what are the next steps for you? You're going to continue to do some therapy and then what's your plan to be successful in your own mind? And then do, what advice do you have for our listeners so they can move past their own PTSD? Yeah. So my, my next steps are definitely continuing to see a therapist. If I can find someone that is, specific to climbing that can help me in these really specific ways. I would really, really love it. Um, I'm heading back down to Joshua Tree in a couple weeks. I have a house down there and I'm a member of Joshua Tree Search and Rescue. So I'll be um, exploring the healing process and pushing myself on single pitch crags, which for me isn't scary. Like it's uh it's not the Alpine. And so um 
exploring that I think will create a safe environment for me to push my, um, to push my climbing a little bit more and hopefully heal. Um, and then I'm taking, I pretty much am done with alpine climbing for this season. So hopefully what the healing process looks like to me is in 2020, when I come back to Washington state to pick up this alpine climbing again, I have a better, um, just a better mental state where my climbs don't induce all of this anxiety and, and I'm back to, to loving them as much as I have in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you asked about takeaways. I think the biggest, the biggest takeaway and the biggest thing I'd like to leave the listeners is just to please take your stress injuries as seriously as you take any um, physical injury. Like I said, at the time I was so, I felt so lucky that I was able to walk out of the accident and I never bothered going to the doctor. Um, but because I didn't take it seriously, I feel like I lost a year and a half of enjoying my passion for climbing as a result. And, and that just, I feel like that was unnecessary. And just as a society and a culture, I don't think that we take it seriously enough. And, and if we can talk about it and, and hopefully use podcasts like this to, to start to heal from it, it would just be spectacular. So just like Sherry Trekker, many other people are looking for resources to help with their stress injuries. Check out the grief fund from the American Alpine club. What the fund is doing is they're evolving the conversation around grief and trauma in the climbing community, and they aim to connect individuals to effective mental health professionals and resources. You can get involved, access resources, or learn more about this programming by visiting AmericanAlpineClub.org slash grief fund. Thank you to Mammut for being the headlining sponsor and for donating the Haldegrat Hardshell jacket to one lucky listener. To enter to win this jacket, head on over to Instagram, tag the sharp end, Mammut, and the American Alpine Club in a story of you adventuring safely, commenting on how you'd use a jacket in this post. I'll do the drawing on October 15th. So good luck. Thank you to the Colorado Hourbound School and Sunto for being contributing sponsors. The Colorado Hourbound School has been changing lives through challenge and discovery for more than 55 years. They offer wilderness expeditions in Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Alaska, and Ecuador. Courses range in 8 to 81 days in length for ages 12 plus and include backpacking, mountaineering, canyoneering, rafting, and rock climbing. Visit www.cobs.org to plan your next adventure. When you have your mind set on a certain goal or adventure, you want to make sure your watch can also go the distance. With up to 120 hours of continuous exercise tracking, the Sunto 9 is built to last just like you. It is also tested tough through hundreds of hours of military-grade testing and built with durability in mind. Join the American Alpine Club today for an exclusive discount on the Sunto 9. Remember, play hard and be smart.